Amen. For all, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe you are here this morning or watching by way of live stream and you are burdened by a heavy load of sin. In the book, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, Pilgrim begins to realize there's a heavy burden on him. And he realizes that that burden is a load of guilt because of his sin. And when he comes to the foot of the cross and puts his faith in Christ, the straps that had tied that burden to him were broken and the burden of his sin rolled away. Maybe you are burdened by guilt. Maybe your soul is not at rest. Come to Jesus and he will cleanse you from your sin and give you everlasting life. That is the invitation of the gospel message. But for those of us who are saved, Peter admonishes us to cast all our care upon him because he cares for us. The author of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have an open invitation at any time and all the time to come before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you, Carmen, for that song. Thank, I just appreciate uh, the whole theme uh, of our music service leading up to this point. Please take your Bibles and join us in Acts chapter 16. This will be looking at verses 11 to 15 this morning. May I just mention this? If you're looking for my wife, she's not here. If you're looking for my daughter, she's not here. They're still both at home sick. Please pray for them. The Lord would help them to recover. They hate it not being here, um, but they just are not physically able to yet. When I was a kid... I loved airplanes. We had encyclopedias, those of you that remember what those are. And I read every article related to, to flight and airplanes and aerodynamics, all that stuff. And uh, I would check out books from the library. I just had an insatiable appetite and, and hunger and interest in, in flying. I remember as a kid, one of my favorite presents that I got was this gasoline-powered P-51 Mustang but it was, it was not like a remote control, but it was on these wires. And depending on what you did and how you moved the wires, the plane would take off and fly. And you'd actually have to go around in circles. So after a while, you know, by the time that plane ran out of gasoline, uh, you'd be pretty dizzy. But it was a world of fun. And so I, I was enamored with flying. My first book report was on American fighter planes of World War II. And, uh, and I still love aviation. As a matter of fact, I kind of passed that on to my son a little bit. Uh, and my daughter, Cameron, took a video course in high school considering maybe that that might be something he would pursue later in his life. When I got to college, uh, I had a friend who was a flight instructor, and uh, there were several Christian businessmen who co-owned a plane, and they said that when they didn't have it, uh, one of them needing it uh, for some flight, business flight somewhere, that if we paid for the aviation fuel, we could fly it. And so um, I had the thrill of learning how to fly, never to get my license, but my friend Scott Lehman and I would fly um, uh, not every weekend, but as often as we could save up and afford to go flying somewhere for an hour or two. I want to tell you, there's a big difference between knowing about how to fly, like I learned from reading books and watching videos, and actually knowing how to fly. Uh, you've got to have somebody there that's hands-on training to teach you how to fly. And here in our passage today, we see a hands-on example on how to proceed in gospel ministry. Our theme for the year is, for the people had a mind to work, from Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. Jesus said in John 9 and verse 4, that I must work the works of him that sent me. And what is that work? Well, Jesus said in Luke 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is 
lost. And so we need to know how in a hands-on way how to go about gospel ministry. And I think today you will see five practical helps in pursuing gospel ministry. Let's read our text all the way through verses 11 to 15 since it's a brief text this morning. And then we'll go back through and we'll hit these five points. And I'll try not to be too long-winded on any one of them, okay? I see some of you are already a little concerned that I said five points instead of three. But it's okay. Look at in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now, looking earlier in the passage, the first thing that I want to be as a helpful reminder to you is recognize God's perfect timing. Twice, Paul had ventured to go into Asia. He had, he had pursued going up to Bithynia, and twice the Lord had said, no, the Holy Spirit forbade him. I believe audibly spoke to him, as was a common theme through the book of Acts, in the way that the Spirit of God directed the apostles in these days of the founding of the church. And so uh, Paul was forbidden, and so they had the only logical course really left was to head towards Troas to the southwest to a port city. And when they get there, then the Lord gives them the Macedonian vision. And they realize they need to sail across the sea to Macedonia and to this region. And of course, Philippi was one of the important cities in Macedonia. Uh, Philippi was a, a Roman colony. Um, and so it was uh, actually uh, populated mainly by retired soldiers. One of the things that was attractive for those uh, in the Roman army is that uh, if they served their uh, term of duty, that they would be granted land somewhere uh, in the Roman Empire. And of course, they had other benefits as well. And so it was kind of a military outpost. And so you had military station there, but you had a lot of uh, seasoned veterans that were there as well. And so it was a strategic move. Uh, there were certain privileges too those Roman soldiers that are retired had. They didn't pay taxes for the rest of their lives. How would you like that? And they had other benefits as well, okay? They had rights as Roman citizens because they had served in the Roman army. And so this is where Paul is heading to Philippi. But I want you to recognize God's perfect timing here because the Bible says that they had a straight course. God gives them here a speedy, uninterrupted trip. And as we go through the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see that that did not often happen. As a matter of fact, later in Acts, we're going to see that the trip is reversed. And the reverse trip takes them five days. But when it says that they had a straight course, it literally means, it translates, they went before the wind. So if you know anything about sailing, what it's talking about is that they had a prevailing wind directly behind them, I believe given of them, God's perfect timing, uh, to to speed them on their way. And so they did not have to tack into the wind. They did not have to try to get into the prevailing trade currents. They were able to have a straight course and get there speedily. And I believe that is God's perfect timing. 
And you know, as we are pursuing ministry, I believe it's always in God's perfect timing. Whether it's just an opportunity to share um, a quick gospel testimony with somebody, uh, whether it is to serve a brother or a sister in Christ, God is at work in people's hearts. We need to remember that, but we need to recognize God's perfect timing. Do you realize that you are where God wants you, doing what God wants you to do right now this morning? You're where God wants you, and you're doing what God wants you to do. And God will continue to do that as we continue to follow him. One of the things I loved about Carmen's song and about how Christine matched the song with that picture. The picture was of Jesus, the good shepherd. And we who are his sheep will follow him. And that's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we follow him, guess what? Jesus will never lead us astray. And that ought to be a great motivation for every one of us to stay step with step with Jesus Christ. You know, one of the, one of the uh, titles of the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the one who walks along beside. And the Holy Spirit who indwells us walks along beside us and Christ in us, the hope of glory. We walk with Christ. And remember, even as we see through the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit is actually fulfilling the ministry of Christ as Christ in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Remember, God is one expressed in three persons. And so God himself in the person of his son, and the person of his Holy Spirit walks with us and directs and goes with us. And this is what he is doing. We need to recognize his perfect timing. But then number two, you need to research the area of ministry where God has directed you. Look if you would at verses 12 and 13. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that, of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days and on the Sabbath... We went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So you need to research. Now, the Lord allowed them to make that trip. It's 156 miles across, and they made it in two days, which is really fast when you're just going by wind power. Um, and so they made it very quickly. But when they got there, Paul didn't just grab a soapbox and set it down in the middle of Philippi and just start preaching. All right. He went with wisdom. He went with discernment and his team. And so when they got there, they began to research the area. Uh, Paul and his team, which would have been Timothy and Silas and now Luke, uh, they, they began to look around because there was no synagogue. For instance, they found out there was no synagogue. You see, uh, for there to be established a synagogue anywhere outside of Israel, it required a minimum of 10 Jewish men. And apparently that uh, Philippi did not have 10 Jewish men who would gather together so that they could form a synagogue. And so they had to look around. They had to ask questions. How else would they find out that there was a prayer meeting of God-fearers that met down by the river? And by the way, the river was approximately a mile from uh, the city of Philippi. Well, it's because they walked around. They asked questions. They talked to people. Um, they researched the area. And so we, we need to be wise in researching not just the area, but do you know what? You need to do, maybe do a little research uh, on the community in which you live, the neighborhood, uh, the city, uh, getting to know people within that community, um, doing research about kind of what, what is the demographic and what are people going through and what's going on in our community around us so that we can reach them, asking questions, getting to know people and understanding that it may be that you're involved in a ministry here at church. Um, or you're going to get involved in a ministry here at church and, and you've never done this before. Well, research what that area of ministry is like. Ask questions and, and begin to pursue that and explore that. But 
research the area of ministry where God is directing you. Uh, We take it for granted, do we not, that missionaries will do this? That they'll go on survey trips and they'll go and they'll, and they'll see if that's what the Lord has for them and they'll pray about it and they'll seek godly counsel. And we say, well, yeah, but they're going to a mission field. Hey, folks, may I tell you this? Whatever ministry you have, whether it's working in the nursery or serving as a door greeter or whatever ministry you do, it's just as important as our missionaries on the mission field. And don't underestimate the value of what God is doing in you and through you if you'll just be faithful. So it does not behoove us then to put as much effort into researching, not as an excuse. And by the way, a little sub point that I put here next to it is while on your way, not while deciding. Paul and Silas were like, and the team were like, all right, let's go, Lord. And the Lord said, go to Macedonia. Look back up in verse 10. After he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So they didn't delay. They said, let's go. But when they got there, they weren't in such a rush to go ahead and get started that they didn't stomp and wisely consider and kind of get the lay of the land and talk to the people and get to know them and see what they're dealing with. Look for the synagogue. That was Paul's mode of operation. Normally he would go to some city and he would find the synagogue. He preached the gospel. Remember that Paul, Romans chapter 10 and other passages in scripture show us clearly that Paul had a great passionate burden to share the gospel with his Jewish brethren and see them come to Christ. He also wanted to get into the synagogue to reach the Gentiles who were either proselytes or God-fearers so that uh, he could give them the gospel and, and share with them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah for whom they were seeking. And so he comes to Philippi and they find out there is no synagogue. So then I'm sure they start to ask, hey, are there any people that meet who, who serve Yahweh, who serve the one true God, that are not serving all these false gods, that are not polytheists? And whatever questions they asked, whoever they talked to, they found out about this uh, prayer meeting. I think it's interesting, too, that Paul targeted cities. Now, I don't know if it still works this way today, but it did in Paul's day. And I think we need to have wisdom to evaluate how is the gospel, how can we be strategic and wise in how we minister the gospel to reach our community and our state and our nation and our world with the gospel. And Paul would target cities because cities back then were trade, they were commerce centers. And so most large cities were built on trade routes. You know about Philippi was on an isthmus, try saying that 10 times fast, right? This narrow strip of land. As a matter of fact, uh, several uh, within the Roman Empire uh, tried to actually dig a canal through it. And what they would do, because there was this narrow place, and, and Philippi sits on this peninsula between these two great bodies of water, and they were both trade routes. They would take small ships, and they would use logs, and they would actually roll them several miles across because the 200-mile journey around the bottom of the tip and back up the other side was so incredibly dangerous. So the ship was not too large, uh, they would use rollers and they, would, they tried to, to dig canals. The first successful canal on that isthmus in the area of Philippi was not successfully completed until 1898. So they, for whatever reason, geographically or whatever, they had problems with that. So, so Philippi, so here's the, here's the idea. Is people are traveling in, they're doing business, and they're leaving. Can you see the, the profitability of going to a city and establishing a church? And as people come in or they move to that city uh, to establish a business or whatever, or they've been in the city, they get saved, they've been discipled, now they're going to move to another city to, to do business or whatever. Or maybe that's where their home base is and they go out and they do trade and they come back. Man, what a great way to keep spreading the gospel throughout the entire region. So you reach a city, you can reach a region. 
And so um, Paul and Silas realized, because they were not called to Philippi. Where were they called to? Macedonia, which was a region. But where do they go? To a chief city. So research the area of ministry where God has directed you. And then third, reach out with the gospel. Look at verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So I want you to see this, that Paul adjusted his gospel outreach method, but not the gospel message. His method was to go to the synagogue and to preach several Sabbath days, and then usually because of the controversy that came up, and he wasn't doing it to be controversial, he went to preach the gospel. Some would believe, some would say, we'll hear you again on this matter, and some would be in disbelief. And then they go find Jewish authorities or send word back to Jerusalem or whatever or to another city to try to get help to get Paul kicked out of there, right? And so then the whole city would be reached. Well, that's not going to happen here. So, so Paul slightly changes his methodology. They find about, the, about this prayer meeting. And she's worshiping God. She's worshiping Yahweh. She's seeking after the one true God. It doesn't say that she's a proselyte, which was a full-fledged uh, Jew. Uh, he's been a, been a Jew, uh, Gentile, but fully was committed to Judaism and gone through all of the rites and observing the law and all of that. But Lydia and these other women, I believe, I believe these were probably all Gentiles. There might have been a couple of Jewish ladies. But Lydia was from Thyatira. She was a Gentile. And maybe even in Thyatira, she had heard the gospel. Maybe somebody had witnessed to her there. For whatever reason, she'd come across Jews and she'd come to realize that polytheism was false and that there was one true God, Yahweh, and she was apparently exposed to some of the Old Testament scriptures. And so they met there in prayer and they were seeking after God. So Paul adjusts his gospel outreach method, but not the message. And so there's a couple of key things that show us that Lydia and this group were God-fearers and they were following after Yahweh. The Bible says in verse 13, and on the Sabbath. When did the Jews worship God, come together to worship God? On the Sabbath, okay, is when they go to synagogue. And then in verse 14, she worshiped God. So these are a couple of clues that show that this is a group of Gentile women who are seeking after God. They would believe in Yahweh and they would be respectful of the scriptures, though they would not be fully yet committed to Judaism. But I want to tell you something. Believing in the one true God is not enough for salvation. Respecting the Bible is not enough. Gathering together to worship after and to seek after God is enough. Sincerity is not enough. Because you can be sincere, but be sincerely wrong. Math is not one of my strong suits for whatever reason. And I can remember times when the teacher that traveled with us, when I was exposed to algebra, we had a teacher that traveled with us uh, during my high school years. It's a whole different story. But anyway, um, and we did ACE. It was a curriculum with paces. Some of you know about that. And at that time, apparently their math program was not strong. And maybe that's part of what confused me is because I would be convinced I was right. I'd go to what was called the score key that had the answers and showed the work, and it would be what I thought was wrong. And fortunately, our teacher was excellent in math, and we would go through it together, and she would actually prove that it was wrong, and she would send the right answers in to ACE so they could correct their mistakes. But that kind of confused me. 
And there were times when, I, when the scorekeeper was right and I was wrong, but I was convinced I was right. <laughs> okay? And you know what? You may be convinced that salvation is through a religious organization, a <coughs> denomination. You may be convinced that it is a matter of putting your faith in Jesus Christ, but you must also do certain good works, whether that's baptism or whether that is being uh, going through a catechism and being confirmed or it, through other good works. And folks, the Bible tells us salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. You may, you may, you may uh, be involved in some other philosophy of life. But folks, no matter how sincere you are, you may still be sincerely wrong. And don't gamble the destiny of your eternal soul. The Bible tells us the way of salvation. Brother Chuck Clute read it in our hearing this morning. I want to just go back, just listen while I read this. I'm not going to read the entire text that he wrote. And I trust those of you that are believers who are getting the burden that we are the means through which God use, sends out his message. Now the Holy Spirit must convict of sin, of righteousness and judgment. The Father must draw sinners to his Son. We cannot work conviction in anybody's heart. We cannot draw anybody to Christ. But we can live a testimony that reflects the character and the love of Christ. And we can share the truth of the gospel and trust the Holy Spirit to take that and make, and make an impact in their heart that draws them to Christ. And in Romans chapter 10, Paul is sharing that burden with Roman believers and he's appealing in a strong case that it's not just apostles and it's not just elders or pastors that are to preach the gospel it is every believer and he's making an, an appeal for all of us to publicly proclaim the gospel but he also then encapsulates the gospel here in Romans chapter 10 in Romans chapter 10 he says in verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus what's the word confess mean it's two Greek words amalageo and it means the same to say literally so it means to say the same thing or to confess or admit. God says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Revelation 20, 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. God, I'm a sinner. I believe because you're just and you're holy and you're righteous, you must punish my sin. And what I have earned through my sin and what I deserve is eternal death in the lake of fire forever. I confess that I acknowledge that. And then the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us I believe Jesus you are the son of God you died on the cross you shed your blood as the perfect sinless lamb of God you were buried and I believe you rose again from the dead and see that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead you see it's not some ritual some incantation that you just quote some magic formula you just say with your mouth and poof that makes you Cleanse from your sin and have eternal life. Now, don't misunderstand. I believe that prayer is that heart call from my soul to God in which I put my faith in him. I believe that is the vehicle. But I be so I believe that calling out to God through prayer in a specific confession and in a specific put reliance upon Christ for eternal life is a necessary element. But if you think just because you've prayed a prayer because somebody talked to you into some sort of a sales pitch of the gospel and you just prayed some words to get them off your back, that makes you okay with God. It doesn't. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, you've got to own it in your soul. 
that this is not just true, but it is personally true for you, that Jesus loves you, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and he rose again, and he loves you, and he wants to cleanse you from your sin and give you everlasting life, and you need to put your trust in him. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Here's the promise in verse 10, thou shalt be saved. For the heart, man, for the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and then skipping down to verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever, like a drowning victim, called out for rescue and put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ and only in him and what he did on the cross as being for you? And if you put your trust in him, do you know you have eternal life? First John five thirteen. these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So here Paul comes and he sits as a rabbi would sit with his team and they begin to teach these women the glorious truth that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He is the Son of God and he is the promised Messiah and he is the Savior of man's souls. And the language indicates that, that Lydia kept on hearing him. It does not, and, and we kind of get the sense that the first time she heard the gospel, she got saved. It may be that that was true because already she's been seeking after God, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit had already been working that scripture in her heart. But it's not enough just to know the word of God or believe in God. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And that's what Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke are sharing with these women. And the language indicates that they kept on hearing and her heart was being open to the gospel. So that's my next point, And that is you must remember that God must open the heart. Look in verse 14. Whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended unto the things which were spoken. Folks, we must Pray that God will open hearts. And then we should expect that the Lord will answer our prayer and open hearts to the gospel. God clearly directed Paul and his team to Macedonia, to Philippi, and now to this riverside meeting. They didn't get there by accident. And so Paul and his team should have been expecting that God was opening the hearts of these ladies who would believe the gospel and be saved. And you know what? So should we. Do you have the attitude, well, I got this gospel tract. I'm, I'll just leave it on the table with a nice tip. That bus boy will probably throw it in the trash and she'll probably never see it. Or she'll pick it up, she'll smirk, toss it in the trash, she'll probably never read it. My neighbor wouldn't listen to my testimony. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and even if they did, they would just politely nod and go on their way and just be kind of kind and respectful, but they're not going to really listen. And what a defeatist, faithless attitude we have. What, what kind of an attitude is that? That, well, I, I, you know, I don't want to feel guilty about not witnessing to somebody, so I guess I'll reach out with the gospel. No, 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 folks. We should pray that God is opening hearts. And we should expect that God is going to bring across our path the people whose hearts he has opened. Because God is at work. Now, folks, we may only get to plant the seed. They've never heard the gospel before. We share the gospel with them. We may get to water the seed. They've heard the gospel. God's been working. We share something, again, that brings that to their mind. The Spirit of God uses it in their heart. Or we might get to reap in the harvest and lead them to Christ. And what a, what a wonderful thing that is. But, folks, God just wants us to be faithful stewards of the gospel. 
but he wants us to be joyful stewards that are filled with confident expectation. That is hope that people are going to be saved. Maybe the reason why some Christians don't want to witness is not because they don't know they should. The Bible clearly commands us and it's our responsibility or that we're going to give an account before God. It's not necessarily that we have forgotten that the Holy Spirit works. Our problem is that we forget to pray that God will open hearts. And then we don't expect Him to. And so many times we're not looking for gospel opportunities. A gospel opportunity could look something like this. Forgive me, Sunday school class, my Sunday school class, you've already heard this testimony this morning. Terry Tripp's funeral was here on Friday. Pastor Sweat did a wonderful job preaching the Word of God and ministering to the family. At the end, I got to go down to Warner Robins for the graveside service, and I won't tell you about my conversation with the funeral director, but it was a powerful conversation. If you're interested in that, I'd, share, I'd love to share that with you later. After the service is over, and I expressed on my behalf and the behalf of Berean Baptist Church our love for them and our willingness to help any way we can, um, I let the family have some time at, at, the, at the graveside, and I slipped away. And uh, it's about a two-hour... Two two hours, two hours and 15 minute drive back. And so I want to get a little Coke Zero. So I stopped at a QT and used the restroom and got a Coke Zero. And while I'm getting my Coke Zero, one of the QT employees walks up to me, a young man, probably 15, 16 years old. And he said, hey, nice suit. That's really sharp. Something like that. Just trying to make conversation and being nice, you know? And I said, well, thank you. I said, unfortunately, I, I had to attend a funeral today. That's why I'm wearing the suit. He goes, oh, he said, that's too bad. I said, well, not really. I said, Mr. Terry knew Jesus Christ as his Savior, so he's in heaven with God because he put his faith in Christ. I said, so it's sad, but it's not bad. And he thought about that, and he says, you know, that's right. Now, I don't know whether he's saved or not. I was able to give him a gospel tract, but you know what? That's what I'm talking about. Who knows what work God had been doing in this young man's life up until that point? And maybe that was just watering the seed, and some other Christian's going to water the seed, and maybe even today he's going to be in a Bible-preaching church. And he's going to put his faith in Jesus Christ if he has not yet done so. Or maybe he is a believer. I couldn't tell from his reaction. But maybe that's going to stir his heart to be a more faithful witness. And folks, that's how God can use every one of us. As simple and, and, and quote, mundane as that might appear, it's not mundane. That's supernatural. And so remember that God must open the heart. And expect God to open the heart. And pray that God would open the heart. And then here's something else. We must reach out to all people regardless of status, wealth, or association. Lydia was a seller of purple. Do you know where that purple dye came from? It came from Thyatira. Thyatira had a specific fish. I know Pastor uh, Sweat loves fishing, so this will pique his interest a little bit. He probably already knows this, you know. But anyway, there's a specific fish that is native only to that region in Thyatira. And what they do is they take that fish and it has a special gland in its mouth and they extract one drop at a time, release the fish, and they keep extracting those drops. And that's what forms the purple dye. And so because it's a tedious process, it was very expensive. Now, of course, color is the color of what? Royalty. 
And so the kings, you know, would wear, they would wear their, their purple robes. And, and even the different higher-ranking officials within the Roman army, and even the local officials, the magistrates and others, while they wouldn't wear full-fledged robes of purple because that would signify a dignity beyond their actual station, they would have robes or whatever or tunics that were edged in purple or might have purple stripes or purple sash, things like that, to indicate where their level of status, wealth, and authority was. So they were, it was highly sought after. It was super expensive. Lydia, being from Thyatira, had connections. She's in Philippi, a chief city, with a whole lot of business going on. She was, as they say, pulling it in hand over fist. She was wealthy. Because of that, as you know in business, the old adage, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And she had a lot of powerful connections in Philippi. And you know, it is good for us to reach out to the down and out, to the poor, or to those that we would think are probably about where we are in our status, right? Sometimes do we really think that the wealthy are without hope? Now, understand, as Jesus said of the rich young ruler, he said it's, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's true on their own. Why? Because wealthy people trust in their wealth. And wealthy people tend to think that somehow through their own wisdom or smarts or because of who they are, even if it's just they inherited the money, they somehow think there's something extra special about them and they trust in that money and not willing to let go of that to truly trust in God, yes. right? But here we see a wealthy woman who was seeking after God, and God saved her. And so, folks, it doesn't matter a person's status or position or level of wealth. Folks, as the Apostle Paul says, henceforth know we no man according to the flesh. I don't just see the Amazon driver as the person who delivers my package. I see that person as an eternal soul whom Jesus loves and for whom he died. I don't see the lady behind the counter at UPS or the postal office as just the person that's going to help me with my postage and send off that package. I should see her as an eternal soul whom Christ loves and for whom he died. That neighbor that plays their music too loud when they're driving into the neighborhood, that person that has the loud parties once in a while, should not just be some irritating neighbor that I'd like to somehow throw rocks with if I could still do that and keep my Christianity. But instead I should see them as a precious soul whom Jesus loves for whom Jesus died. Amen. And you see, when Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and Luke come to this group of women, and by the way, women within the greater culture of that time were disregarded. Remember, for instance, even when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, what are the disciples thinking? Why is he talking to her? Even the Samaritan woman says, you Jews have no dealing with us Samaritans. And I think she's also thinking, and I'm a woman and, and you're a Jewish man. Jewish men don't talk to, to women. Right? And here, though, Paul recognizes, just like the gospel was not for the Jews, it is also for the Gentiles. It is not just for men, it is for women. It is not just for adults, it's for children. It's not just for the poor, it's for the wealthy and everybody in between. For God so loved who? The world. That he gave his only begotten son. All unbelievers. And so, we must 
be able to share the gospel, we must rely on God and His Holy Spirit and His Word, not our ability. And we must reach out beyond the surface to see the precious soul. One more point, we're going to be done. And that is this. We need to regard the evidence of true conversion. Look back, if you would, in verse 15. And when she was baptized, and by the way, baptism is not part of salvation. Amen? Amen. But what is baptism? It is a step of obedience. Right? The Bible commands believers to then be baptized. It is a public identification with Christ. It is a public testimony of what happens to me. I was dead in trespasses and sin through faith in Jesus Christ. I am raised to walk in newness of life. I want to be dead to sin in the old ways. I want to be alive in Christ and follow him and walk in newness of life. Baptism always follows salvation. It is not part of salvation. And Lydia was baptized, which means before that, what? She trusted Christ as her Savior. All right? But then, look at this as well. And her household. Lydia shared the gospel with her family and her servants and her staff. That's who the household would have been. And folks, once you have tasted of the grace of life through Jesus Christ, you want others to taste that. When you've been born again, cleansed from your sin, the burden of your guilt is gone. You come into an actual real relationship with the God who created you through his son, Jesus Christ. You become indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You now understand the scriptures. Your life has changed. Don't you want others to know that? Yes. Don't you get excited about that? We should. And I wonder if Jesus would speak to some here through his Holy Spirit and say, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Man, when, when you're first saved, you want others to know. You, want, you have a burden for your relatives and your friends and your co-workers. You want to see them come to Christ too. But you know, the, Jesus said, I have someone against you because you've left your first love. He didn't say lose. Like you accidentally lose your car keys or the remote to the television. He said you've left it, which indicates a choice. And when we choose to walk in the flesh instead of the spirit, when we choose to prioritize other things over God's mission on our lives, we walk away from our first love and we lose that enthusiasm and the joy and the thrill and the passionate desire to see other people saved. And that truly is and should be a crying shame. Lydia wanted to see her household get saved and they trusted Christ and they were baptized. And then... She wanted to practice hospitality. Look, if you would, in verse 15. I love this. She besought us. That word besought is not just to ask and it's not just to beg. All right? It's the word to compel. She compelled us with strong urging, you might say, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come into my house and abide there. It's almost like as if she said, I want you guys to come. Now, she was a lady of, of, of means, of wealth. And apparently she had servants and everything else and business associates. She probably had quite a large house because she could, te- she could house this entire team. It's at least four, it could have been more. And, uh, and she compelled, which could have been like, 
like Paul would have said, look, Lydia, we just got here and, and all of this. And yes, we've been meeting uh, for prayer the last few weeks. I've shared the word. I'm so glad you've, you've trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you've been baptized. But you know what? I'm a tent maker and it's okay. You know, I've been, I've been, I've been tent making and, and we have a place to stay and the rent's really not that bad. I really appreciate your hospitality. Maybe we could come over for a meal, but we really don't want to impose on, on you. And I can just see her, according to the text here, saying, oh, okay. So you haven't judged me faithful in the Lord then? And something about me you don't trust? I mean, you're going to rob me of this blessing? Come on. I am excited to encourage and support and help those who are engaged in gospel ministry. You've been such a blessing to me. I could never express it. You told me about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I was seeking after God. I was seeking peace with God. I studied the Old Testament scriptures. I had figured out that Judaism was on the right track. But you know what? Judaism left a void. And that is, it didn't go far enough. It didn't go far enough to tell me that Jesus is that Messiah, the Savior who died, was buried, and was risen again for me. And now that I'm saved, and now that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to serve those who are engaged in gospel ministry. Please, I'm begging you, let me have this blessing. You know, those of us who are saved, I know we live in a very busy culture. And I know that right now we live in times that are seemingly getting more financially difficult. But there ought to be the same spirit in us as was in Lydia. Where we ought to compel people. No, please, I want you to have this financial gift. No, please, I want you to come and stay at my house while they're fixing the, the flood, you know, it, that happened when your pipes burst over this cold winter. Or part of your house was burned because, you know, a heater tipped over and part of your house got... And, I'll come and stay with us. Please let us have that blessing. We want to serve you. We want to minister to you. you know, when an evangelist comes in, to be able to thoughtfully think of some way or a missionary, of some way you can be a blessing and encouragement to them where you are so excited that you are almost arguing, I said almost, arguing with them to let them serve you because you because it's your love for the Lord, your love for the brethren, and you are excited to encourage, to help, and support those who are engaged in gospel ministry. Have we kind of forgotten that? I know that many of you practice hospitality. You encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ and you faithfully serve. And I just want to say thank you. Keep on going. But maybe there are some that have kind of gotten away from that. But you know there are true evidences of our conversion. Let me read these three verses to you. And I trust the Holy Spirit would use them to both confirm in your heart that you're a believer and that God would challenge you as a believer to be engaged in this type of ministry that evidences true conversion. James 2.18, James said, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. James isn't saying salvation is by faith and works. He is saying the evidence of my faith. It's a different life. And I now serve God. It goes kind of back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and then not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, what's verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Now that I'm alive, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. So as that new creation created in Christ Jesus, I've been created unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Whether that's hospitality, sharing the gospel, encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ, serving in some capacity of the ministry here at Berean Baptist Church. 
encouraging our missionaries, going on mission trips, whatever it is in serving God. We ought to be thrilled to do it, and it is an evidence. My love for God is going to show my love for his people. By all this shall men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And every Christian ought to have an enthusiasm to support those who are engaged in gospel ministry and want to serve and encourage them. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Selfishness, self-centeredness has passed away in a selfless servant's heart. It's part of the new nature. It should change the way we live. Ephesians 2.10, I already quoted it. I'll just say it one more time. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what is the invitation this morning? Well, going back to our very beginning of our message, Nehemiah 4.6, the people had a mind to work. The people of God had a mind to do his work. What was the work that Jesus did it was to come to seek and to save that which was lost. We ought to be about our master's business, which is pro- proclaiming the gospel and also encouraging others and supporting others and helping them to proclaim the gospel. The Bible also tells us, Paul admonished Timothy, and says, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. We ought to encourage, strengthen, edify, and support one another. And that includes things like hospitality and other ways which we can serve each other facilitate a closer walk with God and a more effective ministry. But I'd be remiss if I did not also add in this invitation time the words that Carmen sang this morning, come to Jesus. Maybe, brothers and sisters, you are saved. You're under a heavy burden. Come to Jesus and let him give you comfort. And don't allow those burdens and those difficulties to hinder you from still serving God. Don't allow them to become a distraction and to cause you to quit. And maybe there's somebody here, you need to come to Jesus. You've not yet repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Won't you trust Jesus Christ today? We are going to have an invitation this morning, so in a moment we'll stand with our heads bowed. Our pianist will play a hymn of invitation. Our associate pastors will be in the back. If you would like to put your faith in Jesus Christ and you need help with that, let me encourage you to go to one of those men, and they will either help you or they'll pair you up with a trained Bible counselor who will take you to a quiet place and open up the Word of God and show you the way of salvation. And if you're not comfortable with that, if after the service is dismissed, you want to come back to the connection point and see me, I'd be glad to sit down in the quiet of the connection point, open up my Bible, and show you the way of salvation and answer your questions from the Word of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it may be that you just want to pray. I would even invite you, if you want to come forward, to kneel here and pray and just pour out your heart before the Lord uh, to do that. If you would like someone to pray with you or give you counsel of some area of your life as a believer, Go see one of the pastors in the back, and they'd be glad to help you as well. But come to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Serve Jesus. Proclaim Jesus. Shall we bow our heads? Father, from this short passage of Scripture, we are powerfully challenged. Lord, you are sovereign. Our lives are no mistake. 
the things that go on in our lives day by day and are not by mistake. You do give us a free will. Sometimes we, wait. we might make foolish choices. And yet, Father, you can even override our foolishness at times. Help us not to be careless. But when we make those mistakes or when we allow our flesh to dominate, we make choices that are unpleasing to you. We know that even over that, you are sovereign. Not that you're the author of sin and not that you condone sin. But that even then, you can work in our lives. And you can change us and you can use us. Help us to recognize your perfect timing. Help us to research the area of ministry to which you are calling us, not for the consideration of whether we should do it or not, but because we're already headed towards it. We just want to be well prepared and understand. Help us, Lord, then to be always ready to reach out with the gospel. Help us, Lord, then to remember that you must open hearts and help us to prayerfully prepare and help us to walk about our day asking and expecting gospel opportunities and help us to recognize uh, the, uh, the, the evidence of conversion uh, and be encouraged by that as we have a desire to serve you and as we're serving you. And as we see our brothers and sisters in Christ serving you, may that also encourage our hearts. For that dear person here today or watching by way of live stream that has never from their heart truly confessed and prayed something like, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know you died on the cross for my sin to forgive me, to give me eternal life. You rose again. You're the living son of God. You have the power and the authority to give me eternal life and forgive me. Lord, would you do that right now? I'm trusting you to do so. If there are those who've never prayed that from their heart and truly put their faith in you, may this be the day of their salvation. Give them courage even now in our invitation to go back to somebody and get the help that they need. For your dear children, Father, may they heed the invitation to come to Jesus. And we pray in his precious name their heads bowed. Would you stand with me right now as our pianist begins to play our invitation? And would you, re- would you respond? Believers, you're welcome to come down front and sit in the front pew or kneel here and pray if you'd like. If you need biblical help, you need to find the way of salvation. See one of our pastors there in the center aisle in the very back of the auditorium. They'd be glad to help you.